0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the
1: inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
0: Hello
2: and welcome to your latest Royal Blue Podcast. We are now right in the midst of the international break. I think we're all starving for football here. It's me, Sam Carroll, your host, and today I'm joined by Adam Jones, Chris Beasley and Dave Prentice as we discuss Everton's exploits on the international break. We've got John Joe Kenny's loan spell at Schalke and some interesting comments he's made on his future. And we'll also be having a look at the biggest start play for Everton and looking back at the anniversary of one of Everton's best derby wins of modern times. Well, that's good to have you here. Adam, I'll start with you. Another clean sheet for Jordan Pickford on international duty. How impressed Mm. have you been with his start to the season?
0: I think I've been really impressed. I think he looks so much more composed and mature. Like I think a lot was made of that, you know, especially towards the end of last season. That Newcastle game in particular is one that stands out as being uh, a bit ropey, shall we say? But uh, he seems to have popped that behind him uh, really, really well at the start of the season. I think the first two clean sheets that Everton had uh, in the first two games of this season, you know, were. Absolutely down to Pickford. You know, he made a couple of really good saves in both of those games. Wouldn't have kept clean sheets if it was if it wasn't for him. And then in the games that we've had since then, I, I'm struggling to think of a goal that he could have kept out, to be honest. Yeah. We did you know, he's he's had no chance really with a lot of the goals that we've conceded. And uh, it's good to see him bring that onto the international stage as well. He plays; he's playing with so much confidence at the minute. I think we saw that in the Wolves game, especially with his distribution. Like, it's more, it's one of the best aspects of his game when he gets it right. And I think that Wolves game, he absolutely had it right, and it was down to that, you know, that confidence that he's got. You know, with that defence playing in front of him as well. So, yeah, I think it's much much better to see. And fingers crossed, he can keep this up for the whole season because you know. You know we've we've seen the quality that he's got. You know he is one of the best goalkeepers in the country when he's on his day. So fingers crossed he can keep that up all season.
2: And despite being just 25, beers. Do you think is he emerging as a, as a leader in, in this Everton team for you? Well,
0: definitely. He's,
3: he's he's always had that vocal quality about him, haven't we? And we saw. I mean, I don't know how good it was, but the fact that when he uh, Raced the length of the pitch <laughs> at Lincoln City last <laughs> you week. Gotta, you know, got to be done sometimes. Yeah, yeah, got to up for his teammates. <laughs> yeah, but shows that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's always had that vocal presence about it. but like Adam says, it has to be channeled into a positive way rather than um, that whole nonsense, which is that's what it was up at St James's Park last season, yeah. um, uh, playing the pantomime villain with the with the Geordie fans, and you know because he's totally lost his focus. So yeah, um, I keep saying it, it's an unprecedented um, territory really to to have an England number one at Everton. Um, Never had it. obviously Wales number one for a long time Neville Southall, but yeah, it it the expectation that goes with that. I mean, even if you're keeping on the straight and narrow, and you're a, a fairly level-headed character, you're always going to be in in the firing line as England's number one. So yeah, um, it could, let's make a good thing about it. The fact that he's playing alongside these top players. For England, and he is such a, a, a vocal presence and, and a leader both um, on the pitch and in the in the dressing room, um, definitely. And it's something that we can see more of him as he does, like we say, he becomes more mature. And um, he's always
2: had those leadership qualities, but he can become a bigger and bigger voice within the dressing room. And a- eleven clean sheets, I think, in in his last fifteen appearances for Everton, Preno, and three in his last five for England. How much credit can can you give a goalkeeper for for a statistic like that? And especially at Everton, you know, how much do you do you think? Is that down to Pickford and how much you, kind of credit do you give the defense? Because you know th- those numbers are bordering on on world class, surely.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a team game. You've got to you know so sort of give as much uh, credit to the defenders as you do the goalkeeper up until. Uh, he's exposed and, you know, he's got to stand up for himself. And, you know, as Adam mentioned earlier, the opening day at Crystal Palace, you know, so two of those saves yeah. you know, were absolutely top draw when he was he was let down uh, by the guys in front of him. Uh, so that, that clean sheet was entirely down to him. And even England, to a lesser degree, the Bulgaria game, you know, a couple of very sharp stops he had to make there. Um, you know, England were a little bit... Um, I wouldn't say disrespecting Bulgaria, but, you know, so maybe they, they just took the eye off the ball a little bit. And, you know, so a couple of openings uh, opened up. But, you know, he closed them down very, very quickly. He's made a good start to the season. I just wonder whether he's benefited a little bit from having had a proper break this summer. Yeah. Uh, so much intensity and so much scrutiny was on him last season. Um, on and off the pitch, you know, there was that unfortunate incident that he got involved in you know, with his misses, uh, which comes with the territory when you're an international goalkeeper uh, yeah. and their profile is on, well. you're a World Cup hero. You know which he was at the time. Um, so he's had to deal with an awful lot at a very young age and he's learning how to deal with that and he is still a young man and he will still make the occasional mistakes as Bezos referenced racing the length of a pitch to grab somebody by the neck um, you ever done that Rich.
2: you ever raced the length of the pitch for
1: a- um, I've never I'll, raced I'll, the- I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll plead the Fifth Amendment <laughs> I was one cent off twice in the same game but we won't go there um, um, yeah he's, he's had to you know sort of grow up very very quickly and he is you know he'll still make the occasional uh, you know faux pas but he does does appear to be learning from his errors. And he looks an altogether more composed, more disciplined individual. Uh, distribution's being great, shot-stopping's being great. Uh, and yeah, there are signs of, of a leader beginning to emerge there. So yeah, only good things you can uh, see at the moment from Jordan Pickford.
2: And to, to stick with England and, and kind of stick over this side of the, the table, because I think, you know, you, you've seen just just a, a tad more football at Everton than than, uh, than Adam, I think. Michael Keane, when you look at him, can, can you think, can Adam can just think... Oh, over the past at Everton of a player who's had a bigger transformation in in his Everton fortunes than Michael Keane? Because, you know, he he was almost being written off this time last season to now being one of our most important players.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's a weird one, Michael Keane, because I don't think the problems were necessarily of his making. Um, He was unfortunate with his injury record, you know, when he first came and he insisted on playing despite having one foot, which was like three or four sizes bigger than the other one uh, because of the infection and he desperately didn't want to, you know, so miss any games. Uh, We subsequently discovered he was taking all kinds of painkilling drugs and things that, you know, might have been affecting the way he was behaving on the pitch. Uh, But that was... If anything, that all does him a little bit of credit. That all indicates how badly he wanted to play for Everton, yeah. uh, and he came through that, and then ultimately started to show the form that convinced Everton to spend the money they did on him in the first place. And he looks an altogether different player. So I wouldn't say he's come through, you know, sort of a rocky period of form. I think it's just you know he's finally managed to get a run of form, injury free, being able to show Everson you know, so sort of Evertonians exactly what he's capable of, and he looked quite assured in that England backline. I know Bulgaria were the most potent strike force you'll ever face. Uh, but he did look like a guy who belonged at that level. He looked like somebody who was quite confident and quite assured. Um, he's settling down very, very well. And of the two, you know, him and Yerry Mina, he's probably the guy that will be taking the responsibility in that partnership. Yeah. He's going to be like the leader, the guy barking out the orders and, you know, sort of organising things. So, again, like Jordan Pickford, he's had a good start to the season. You know, long may it continue. Yeah.
3: Um, I was going to add to that uh, about... Um Keane and uh, the comparisons with Harry Maguire who was obviously his partner for England at the the weekend, they were both on the move a couple of summers ago when uh, Maguire went from Hull City to Leicester and obviously Keane went from Burnley to Everton and at the time you'd actually say, well yeah um, Everton had the better player they were very similar in their profiles but Keane was almost ahead of Maguire um, back then but then because uh, Keane had such a difficult season at Everton Hadi Maguire became the main man for England going into the World Cup Finals and obviously excelled there, became national hero and we've all seen how his career's kicked on since then now the world's most expensive defender and I did a piece at the start of the season when um, Maguire made that move to United looked at the stats from last season with Keane and himself and there's not a lot in it at all Michael's ahead of him on a lot of things and Harry just ahead on some other aspects but it, it, it begs the question, you know, whether um, If Keane was on the move, and of course he isn't, he'd he'd probably be in that category. You know, an England defender of of his age, I don't think there's too much to choose between him and Maguire. So, you know, if Maguire's the world's most expensive defender, I I think Keane can't be be far behind in in the aspects that he
0: brings to his game. I think what's interesting about Keane as well is, you know, a a lot of times people don't really care that much about international football, but I think they should really when it comes to Michael Keane, because this is going to be such a benefit to his confidence now that he's starting games for England you know he's obviously a really patriotic sort of lad isn't he you know he, he, he really wants to impress on that international stage and you know impress Gareth Southgate so the fact that he's being rewarded for what has been a season of really really top quality football for Everton I think it, that'll be a massive benefit to him and you know as we said with Pickford before you know playing alongside the kind of players that England have got in that team, it's only going to be a benefit to him and hopefully to Everton over you know over the next few months and years.
2: Was was there a time you know because I think I certainly had it where and I don't know if you were the same, but I think I genuinely had a moment, Jordan, that first season when when we had Kooman and Allardyce that I thought the lad just isn't isn't cut out to play for Everton. Did did you have those thoughts or did you always kind of have faith that there was a player <sighs> in there?
0: I mean before. <laughs> Before you hear about all of his injury issues and all the all the problems that came along with that season. I think I remember watching that Southampton game where we got beat away from home and he went off early in that game, didn't he? And I remember thinking he's 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 come up he's come up with some issues, but you know, as Prano said, like he yeah, had he had a lot to deal with and I was still confident there was a player in there. I think I've sp- I've spoke about it on this podcast quite a quite a few times, but I think it's understated how difficult a move it was going to be for Keane to move from the ultra-organized sort of setup of Sean Dyche uh, to then go to Ronald Koeman's mishmash of a squad, really. Uh, playing a different formation every week playing with different players every week you know it can't have been easy for a new Passion player
2: Koeman, mish-mash, when you're playing Dominic Calvert lewin right wing back <laughs> you know, six attacking
0: <laughs> midfielders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so like that can't have been easy for a new player you know coming to a new club especially you know in the the kind of difference in quality that it is the step up from Burnley to Everton uh, is, is a massive step up so you know it, it's not easy for a player to move with that kind of price tag and then to be asked to perform week in, week out with, you know, different players every week, different formation every week. Yeah. And... Of course, as Prano said, with the uh, injury issues that he had as well. So,
2: And playing alongside Ashley Williams must be uh, <laughs> Never easy. <laughs> <difficult>, never easy. <laughs>
1: we, we should have spotted those, uh, those Ronald Koeman, you know, should we say, right from the start, because it was one of his first games, and West Brom McCarthy away. And right, McCarthy right. was wing-back. Yeah. And uh, everyone thought it was an inspired move. What a forward-thinking, innovative coach we have here. And yeah. uh, I think he was one of the reasons why Michael Keane came to Everton, uh, because a world-class centre-half who was famed for bringing the ball out of defence and, you know, so linking defence with midfield and midfield with attack. And Michael Keane said at the time, you know, he thinks he can learn an awful lot from Ronald Koeman. Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't get much <laughs> opportunities <laughs> to do words. so because he was only there for a few months. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, David Unsworth came in, another centre-half, and then Sam Allardyce, another centre-half. He had three different centre-halves, you know, so, as his manager. And whether he took anything from any of them, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think the issue was just absolutely settling down because... Uh, I mean that Southampton game I think we all thought at the time oh my god yeah, what's going on here yeah. and there were numerous rumors flying around about uh, why Michael went off that day which we're not going to revisit because they were all wrong I mean basically it, he was playing with an infected foot that he'd been taking painkilling tablets to try and you know conquer and uh, it, it played have a good his mind. A completely different arguments to have there about, uh, you know, so whether players should be pumped full of painkillers before they go out to play. Yeah. Uh, but he overcame all that and uh, is looking like the player that you know we thought he could be. You know, developing absolutely nicely. To,
2: to test your memory bank, Prano, is, is there anyone that you can look back on d- down the years of ever ever signed someone who's came and not really impressed at the start and then built a successful career?
3: oh god there must be Dave
2: Dave
1: Watson's a good comparison to be fair yeah it's a good shout Waggy yeah Yeah. I mean it it was a different one Waggy because I wouldn't say he played badly Waggy himself was saying you know struggled to settle down but the big issue he had is the fans never took to him because he was replacing Derek Mountfield and um, again he cost a huge sum of money £900,000 which was a British record transfer fee at the time for a defender um, and he won a title medal in his first season, so he didn't yeah. do too much but wrong. Mm-hmm. But he said himself that, you know, he didn't quite show the fans what he was capable of, only for a few months. You know, he settled down fairly quickly after that. But yeah, it took a long time to win the fans over, and then obviously became a, you know, genuine 24-carat club legend. So yeah, that's one. But that's I, I can't really think of anybody that's actually, you know, really stank the gaff out in this Perhaps a different
0: scenario for Phil Jagielka when he first moved and he was playing in defensive yeah. midfield always didn't know what to play him did he yeah.
2: centre mid right back yeah. the thing I remember about Jags was that when he first made the move to centre back if he made a mistake in a game his head would just completely go yeah. and I always remember being worried about him but then yeah
1: it's a, another fair comparison
0: did not it Did it not take a couple of months for Leighton Baines to establish himself He'd as well the team. he just, wouldn't, he just wouldn't play
1: him yeah. <laughs> David Moyes bought him for six and a half million and then decided he was too small to play left-back and he was worried about him getting done in the air at the far post.
2: <laughs> and really so he insisted safe.
1: on playing Jolie and Lescott there and Lescott was outstanding at the time, to be fair. Yeah. Was he, he hoping Leighton was going to grow? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you put him on one of those stretching machines. <laughs> I think he eventually got in by default when somebody got injured and then, you know, couldn't be budged because he was so good after that. Yeah. And never, ever got done once on the far post, you know, in the air. <laughs> <laughs> so.
2: And to stick with the... Uh, with the England theme and, and bees, I'll come to you first. Yeah, someone we love talking about on this podcast seemingly in, in recent time. Young Tom Davies, yeah. I think he captained England's under 21s uh, recently, but last night, going to Kosovo, yeah. uh, our reporter Connor Dunn went down to the to the KCON, a hull, yeah. um, where Josh Bowler and Matthew Pennington spending the season on loan. Little, little staff for you there. Is that right, like
1: Bowler? Not Bowler, no,
2: Bowler, Bowler. Bowler? <laughs> I think it's. It yeah. <laughs> opens to <laughs> when. Tom
1: Davies, not Davis. I haven't heard isn't? him. I haven't <laughs> heard
2: him say it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and, and Connor produced a, a glowing assessment yeah. of Tom's performance and said he sent a statement to Marco Silva. Do you think managers do kind of take take recognition of these performances on in international duty under 21? Yeah. And you know, do you think that Tom's performance against Kosovo should should be a, a, a positive sign for Marco? It's definitely a positive sign for
3: Tom. Who first and foremost needs to get a few minutes under his belt. Um, yeah, not featured much at all. At had he like one cameo appearance. I think so far for the Blues in the, um, this season. Not been in the matchday squad for the last couple of games. So yeah, getting um, a couple of starts for England Twenty Ones, and as you say, captain at the weekend for a comeback win in Turkey. So can only be good for Tom. I think there's a big step up. I've, I've, I've actually checked the um, the stats in Kosovo under on Twenty Ones. I think actually record going into that game. Yeah, of course.
2: They were pretty tasty. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
3: But ultimately, they are still Kosovo under-21s, and I think a Premier League game is a a totally different level. But yeah, um, yeah, it can only be good for Tom, for his, his confidence, help build that up. But whether that is enough... To get him back in the side just now, um, I'm I'm not too sure. I mean, Marco will be taking note, of course. He's keeping a keen eye on all his players wherever they've been across the world this week. But um, yeah, it can only be good for Tom's um, confidence. But I'm not too sure whether that ultimately sticks him in the starting eleven come
0: Sunday. I think I think it's interesting that you mentioned like the level that he's playing because yeah. I think you know we 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 get ahead of ourselves a little bit sometimes with Davis. I think just because of how young he was when he broke through. You know, this is you know he can whether it was Kosovo under-21s or whatever, he can only play against what's in front of him. Uh, And I think it's... I'd be keen to point out that this was him playing amongst his peers and everybody, every report that I've read from yesterday's matches said Tom Davis was a standout player. He was one of the best players on the pitch. I think A.D. Boothroy came out and said Tom Davis was one of the best players on the pitch after the game as well. So this is Tom Davis. I think he's done this quite regularly over the last couple of years or so. You know, he might whether he's struggling or not at Everton, he's excelling at under-21 level, which I think is really interesting to see. And I think it's something that Marco Silva will absolutely pick up on because, you know, he's, he's had a couple of years of Premier League experience. Not the best Premier League experience, but not that... I, I keep saying that's not really his fault. You know, he was oh, a, yeah. he's a victim of circumstance with what's gone on at Everton over the last couple of years, really. And I think Marco Silva will be looking at that and he's thinking, well, he's still ahead of, he's still ahead of his age group quite clearly. It's just, he's in a, he's in a bit of a limbo period at the minute of trying to, Really work his way into the first team, and I'm you know, I'm confident that he keeps putting in performances like this for the under 21s that he'll he'll find his way there eventually. And I was speaking to Michael Ball yesterday, and he said that Davis is still going to be an important player for the squad, and I completely
1: agree. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I just I think the big problem he's got at the moment is the, the formation Everton are playing. Yeah, when you're looking at a 4 2 3 1, you know, which I know Silver wants to play 4 3 3 eventually, but you know, he always seems to be getting stymied in his you know, attempts to do that. But when you play in that system, you can't really look beyond Andre Gomez and Fabian Delph at the moment. You know, so both look absolute class acts. So trying to displace one of them from that midfield is going to yeah. be some some ask. Um, if Everson goes to a four three three, 3 3 it automatically makes it a little bit more open to him to get in. And um, yeah, clearly there's a, a very, very promising talent there. And uh, the... The coaching staff, Marco Silva, always speak very, very positively about him. So they're aware of what he's doing on international football. And yeah, that 90 minutes last night will have done him the world of good. Uh, but the biggest problem he's got is just trying to displace two absolute consummate operators in that you know position at the moment. Uh, it's tough, but, you know, they, they don't rule it out.
2: There's something there as well, isn't there, Preno, in that, you know, he was handed the armband by A.D. Boothroyd in, in one of the previous England 21 games, been given the armband by Marco Silva. And I don't think managers take this decision lightly to, to, to make people captain. And, you know, you see even his personality off the pitch, you know, like the way he dresses and and, and stuff like that. He's obviously a, ve- a, a very strong-minded in- individual. And that, that's got to count for
1: something as well, hasn't it? Of course it has, yeah. You know, uh, ma- managers make those decisions based on what they see around the football ground, around the training pitch, you know, so around the, their peers, you know, the way players... Uh, are perceived, you know, by their, by their teammates. And, you know, so clearly for Tom Davis to have had the armband as early as he has, he's made a big impression, not just on the manager and the coaching staff, but on the players that train with him every day. You know, they clearly take things from him, you know, so some of them will look up to him. Um, you know, so that that is a huge statement, you know, so that a, a lad of his age can be handed the armband. Uh, trying to think of, you know, so there aren't many that you can say that's happened to. I think Steve McMahon is probably one of the fewest I can remember or, one of the few I can remember who's had the armband at that age, and you know, so and he grew up to be to be you know a, a proper midfield general. Uh, so yeah, you know, clearly there is something about his personality and his character that you know that they they like they like a lot, which you know suggests you know he has got you know sort of a long term future at Goodison.
3: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: And one young man at Everton who, who decided
2: to kind of take his chances elsewhere this season. Adam was John Joe Kenny, who completed the. Quite surprised, low move to Schalke. It seems to be starting quite well. He scored a, a belt and goal last mm-hmm. last weekend. He was asked about his future this week. He said, it's still too early for that decision. I don't want to live in the future. Whatever happens, happens. Now I'm definitely giving everything for Schalke. Doesn't exactly strike me as a man who sounds absolutely desperate to, to come back to
0: Everton. He seems to be keeping his options open. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh... I think it's probably the right thing for him to be saying. I think he should be just focusing on the season ahead rather than anything else. Because you know you don't want to be caught up too much in you know what's going to be happening next summer or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, you know he, he seems to have started the season in fairly solid fashion. Uh, I think he had a bit of a mishap against Bayern Munich, giving away a penalty, but. Uh, you know, we. I saw his. Interview. After, yeah, I saw his interview after that, and he was, and he was just owned up to it. And he said, "Look, well, look, I've got to learn from this mistake. Now I've come to a club as big as Schalke. If these mistakes happen, I need to get it right quickly." And I think he's he's gone there in the absolute right mindset to just try and improve himself as a player. And you know, Schalke is an absolutely massive club in Germany. You know, they get sixty thousand at their home stadium every week, so he's going to be under a fair amount of pressure. You know, they they had a bit of a. Difficult season last season. I think they were only five points away from the relegation playoff last season, which is uh, absolutely not where Schalke want to be. They want to be up, challenging for European football again. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on Kenny all season. So to hear him say that he's just going to be focusing on, you know, improving himself and you know trying to f- focus on the, the weeks and months ahead, I think it's probably the right thing to do. And uh, you know, good luck to him out there.
2: John Joe Kenny bees, does he have an Everton future in your eyes? Yeah, and on,
3: on on both respects it's it's sort of up in the air now, both for both for John Joe and for the right back situation because obviously after the loaning him out to Schalke. They brought in Sidibe on loan, who's obviously a World Cup um, winner. So it's how does he fare for Everton? How does John Joe yep. fare for, for Schalke? They're, they're both um, keeping their options open. And very, very early days with Sidibe, still learn, learning the ropes in English football. But from what I read from your, your, the reports from the, both of you two from Lincoln, he didn't exactly cover himself in glory against League One opposition as his debut. He <laughs> yeah.
0: Imp- improved as
3: the game yeah. went on, I yeah. think I'd say. Yeah, First game, and it was a tough start for for Everton as a team as well, going behind after 20 seconds, whatever it was. So, yeah, there's a a lot of football to be played throughout throughout the season. I think um, they're they're both looking at the the situation. Um, Definitely, if if John Joe does well um, in the Bundesliga this season, hopefully like a lot of young English players, he he can possibly come back and do well for Everton. I think Everton wouldn't have sent him out on loan there if they didn't have aspirations to bring him back and do well forever and that was the whole point that he's
1: not quite ready to challenge James Coleman this season but maybe in 12 months time um, he could be it's a big opportunity for him, really. Uh, just thinking of a couple of players who've gone away from Everton on loan and you know come back different footballers entirely. Seamus Coleman was one, uh, yeah. you know, so who absolutely you know so sort of flourished on his uh, loan spell at clubs far below, you know, so sort of Schalke's level. And likewise, Leon Osman, who um, you know so sort of absolutely tore the place apart at Carlisle and Derby, was it? And he you know, came back ready for first team football. And John Joe Kenny has to do that uh, because he wasn't quite ready uh, in his, you know, few spells. We saw him playing for Everton to challenge Seamus Coleman regularly. Did okay. Did you know? Let's not get carried away. Did did okay in the times he was in the first team, but needed to do a little bit more to claim that place permanently. And if he's uh, going to get played regularly in the Bundesliga, he's going to get that opportunity to show exactly how good he can be. And uh, who knows, he could come back a different footballer ready to, to challenge Seamus Coleman. Because I think it's quite significant that, so the, you know, the, the right-back Everson signed this summer was a loan signing. They didn't make a permanent, you know, signing like Lucas Dean. You know, they mm. brought somebody in in loan. So, you know, Seamus Coleman isn't getting any uh, younger, as we know. You know, so people last summer were talking about the need to, you know, sort of challenge him you know, more regularly. So, you know, John Joe Kenny has got this season to try and prove he can be that man. Do
2: you think going out on loan, Adam, at Everton looking for him, you know, and obviously that goal would have been a positive sign to just maybe improve a little bit on the offensive side of his game because defensively he's always been pretty sound and 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 largely solid, hasn't
0: he? Uh, yeah, I think he proved that in that 2017-18 season. I think there was a you know a lot we have a lot of defensive mishaps for Everton. Uh, Kenny, I think, on the whole, performed pretty well throughout the time that he was deputising for Coleman. Uh, and I think since then, yeah, he, he's he's shown a lot defensive wise, which has made me think, yeah, he can, he can be a really really good Premier League player. It is just going forward. I think we saw it more in his time in the under twenty threes. I think he was a lot more, he was a lot better going forward. Uh, I still think he's got a really good cross on him. Uh, there was a couple of times last season where he had a couple of long range efforts, and I thought, you know, he, he is looking to try and get himself <laughs> that spectacular <laughs> goal, isn't he? And. Uh, you know, thankfully for him, he he uh, took his one for Schalke really, really well. It's the technique behind that, uh, you know, that low drive. You know, it would have been really easy for him to lean back and just hit it into Rose but he didn't. And yeah, hopefully that will give him the confidence to push on. You know, uh, when he joined Schalke, he gave an interview saying, yeah, like the manager does want me to get forward and progress a little bit more, and. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what Marco Silva's is going to want to see because you know, the, as we know, the fullbacks are just so crucial to the way Marco Silva wants to play all over the pitch and especially going forward. You know, we're seeing, I think we see it a little bit more with Luca Dean down the left flank. You know, just how crucial he is to Everton's attack and play. But I think Seamus Coleman, you know, t- towards the end of last season, more than t- the start of this season, we saw how important he was as well when with him breaking forward. So, you know, if Kenny can easily get himself into that mould with how he's playing at Schalke, it will make his transition back to Everton much easier.
2: Three players we've mentioned there, Prenno, Keane, Davis, and Kenny all and Pickford as well, all have you know prominent roles to play in that twenty seventeen-18 season that Adam mentioned and, and not to kind of throw everything on Cumin, but do you do you think Davies and Kenny could have been maybe affected by that season in terms of the, the first full season in the Premier League you know, a really difficult one for the club and changing managers or do you think it's still been good for them and it'll be good for them in the long term to so have got those minutes in adverse conditions?
1: I think it wasn't good for them at the time I think but subsequently yet yeah, they'll learn from the experience it was a very turbulent time for everybody involved in the football club and yeah it's not easy for A a new signing or B a young footballer uh, to try and play regular football against the backdrop of what was going on there with the managerial upheaval, with the defensive uncertainty. I mean, some yeah. of those defensive performances at the start yeah. of that season were bordering on the criminal, weren't they? United they were, at they were horrendous. You know, the, the Arsenal at home, the one that finally saw you Kuma know, get the show. shove. I mean, and then even subsequently, you know, that, that Southampton game will live long in the memory as one of the, uh, you know, sort of most... Awful performances we've seen from a blues side. So yeah, you'd have been a very, very strong character not to have been affected by that, but to have played their way through that and to have come out, you know, intact on the other side. Uh what, what's the phrase you know whatever does, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger uh, they will have learned from that experience and you know fingers crossed they'll never have to go through something like that again yeah. uh, but you know if things do get a little bit rocky in the future they'll be much better equipped to handle it so yeah they will have benefited from the experience although they wouldn't have thought so at the time having to you know live and play through that
2: and Beers this week or this weekend you kind of wrote Samuel Letto's career came to <laughs> an end yeah. he, he's retired from professional football obviously had that Short spell at Goodson Park, and Mm. you you took a look at who is the biggest star to ever represent Everton. So just kind of explain to everyone how you kind of categorise them and and how people made the cut to be to be kind of nominated for this yeah just, just quickly um, it was like you say on the back
3: of Etto's retirement I think there's a strong case that Samuel Eto could put up obviously you didn't see much of him at Everton but um, for what he achieved overall in the game he, he has a strong hand to say he was the biggest star to ever play for Everton I think in that respect if we're going to go off career achievements uh, Wayne Rooney's his main rival but then I categorised it into different sections such as performing on the big stage so you've got people like right World Cup winners Ray Wilson, Marco Matarazzi and then Alan Ball of course um, national treasures like Gary Lineker, Paul Gascoigne people who were a big deal in their own countries, Tim Cale of Australia Tim Howard USA and even Li Tai, China <laughs> yeah. a huge TV audience the remember Li Tai, Sunji G- Sunji Sun Derby yeah, 350 million people <laughs> watching in China <laughs> and uh, yeah finally the granddaddy of Goodison icons um, Dixie Dean so we just said you know there's different parameters here, but just who is the the biggest star to, to ever play for Everton?
2: Do you wanna go first? Do you wanna throw your hat into a into
3: a certain ring? Um well I mentioned the pieces I, I saved him till last, but I, I just think f- for Everton point of view, um of all things being equal because um Dixie Dean couldn't play in the Champions League. He played a long time before that form um tournament was created. That Dixie Dean for Everton, just in the way he's an icon for the club, um yeah, um like I said um 100 years Everton top Everton became the first club to have two one hundred years in top flight like football. They had the Dixie Dean um, badge on the sleeve. The fact that he's statues outside the ground um, now, the club and the season awards are called the Dixie. So I think yeah. in that respect, um, he sort of he represents Everton in the world. And we have to remember really that the club are actually going for fifty years before his 1928 season. So it's almost like we can be guilty thinking that Everton started with Dixie Dean. There was a lot of football before then, but he's just such a an icon within the club. And of course now, as Dave. Uh, mentioned it, the Dixie Dean Re- um, Hotel as well, so he remains just such a, an icon for Everton. So, in that respect, uh, maybe you could actually say it was Dixie, and you, you can only imagine what. Pen- was a rice yeah, smile on his face. You there, you can only imagine <laughs> what kind of hype there would have been around him if had he been yeah. playing
1: now. No, I was just going to say that at the time that he played, you know, so he almost certainly was, and certainly for the subsequent years after that. If you look on his Wikipedia page, there's quite an entertaining story about an Italian prisoner of war who was uh, taken prisoner in the Libyan desert uh, in 1940. God, this, and, a, this, this, is, this has started well, hasn't his it? Rea- <laughs> his reaction to being captured was, F your Winston Churchill and F your Dixie Dean. <laughs> So you know, an Italian prisoner of war had known all about uh, Dixie Dean, and that famous picture taken at the 1933 FA Cup final when he's receiving the uh, the trophy from the Queen Mother, who's looking you know so a future Queen Mother who's looking adoringly at him. And uh, before that match kicked off, her husband, the King, uh, actually turned around to her and said, you know, so my dear, this is you know so so so, and the number nine is Dixie Dean. To which she she allegedly turned around and goes, my dear, even I know who Dixie Dean is. So he he was, he he was huge. A good impression of the Queen Mother. Yeah, that, that's as posh as my voice gets. He <laughs> <laughs> was absolutely huge at the time. And, you know, in subsequent years, I mean, if you remember his death um, in 1980, yeah. it was the only time in history that the Match of the Day theme music had been silenced. Really? Yeah, uh, at the end of the programme. Yeah, they just put a black and white image of dick Dean on the screen um, and just utter silence. And it was, it was incredibly poignant. Uh, but that was, that was then... I mean, uh, the Dixitian Hotel, as uh, bees I very kindly mentioned, there was opened um, in the city earlier this year, and part of the reasoning behind that is to try and tell uh, a modern audience all about, you know, what this incredible man achieved. Yeah, uh, because. Liverpool's a massive tourist destination now. People come to the city all the time. And uh, the Shankly Hotel directly over the road. People aren't aware of Bill Shankly that come from you know, so all over the, uh, the world. Likewise, Dixie Dean. So part of the rationale behind creating the Dixie Dean Hotel is just to educate people, you know, so what this incredible man achieved, you know, so on and off the pitch. So, you know, is he the biggest star ever to have played for Everton? You know, in the modern era, you could probably make an argument for the likes of Paul Gascoigne, you know, Gary Lineker, you know, so people that didn't necessarily enjoy their, you know, so absolute high points as Everton footballers, but then subsequently became, you know, so absolute icons of sports. Samuel maybe. It's it's a tough one. Yeah, so I wouldn't like to i go on. You two throw your uh, case in. Any... in terms of like a global figure, I just
0: can't look past Wayne Rooney. Yeah. Like Wayne Rooney has been plastered absolutely everywhere. I mean, probably probably since his move to Man United if we if we're looking yeah. at it that way, but he is Still, absolutely everywhere. Like you see back pages, sometimes even front pages with Wayne Rooney on them. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. some, <laughs> let's like not go there. Multiple that. times a week, <laughs> so you, you see them multiple times a week, don't you? And he is just he is just a face that so many people around the world will know. Well,
1: he's a superstar in the media age, isn't he? Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So where, you know it's so different like,
2: stages yeah. as well, though, isn't it? Like as you were saying, obviously Dixie Dean at his time, and then in the eighties, Lineker, you know, Rooney now. It's difficult really to say we, I, I still don't think we've had a, a global kind of, maybe, maybe Dean in his ear then, judging by what you have said, but it's difficult to remember a, a, a
1: true global. Real Madrid tried to sign Dixie Dean in, oh gosh, 1931 I think it was, at a time when no footballers uh, went abroad. Yeah. It was just unheard of. So, you know, he was clearly known on the continent, you know, so in the early 30s. Yeah, what I would say is that Dean
3: and Alan Ball, at least the peak of the powers, was that time at Everton obviously Rooney bookended his his Premier League career at Everton obviously he was still very much just starting yeah. to become a national icon at 18 just before he left but all those trophies were won at Man United all those accolades eto's time was before his uh, he was at Everton, same, similar with Gascoigne. Um, Lineker was only just sort of reaching that level when mm-hmm. when, he, when he left after one season. So, it's unfortunate. Same of Materazzi, who who'd have thought he'd have gone on to become a, a World Cup winner uh, when he was left not crying on the touchline yeah. against Coventry City. So, unfortunately, a lot of these players who have achieved such heights have done it not at Everton. It's after they've left Everton or before or um, b- beforehand. So. Um, uh, at least with, with Dean and Borley, it, it was sort of like they were at the peak of the powers and they achieved those, that greatness w- while at Everton. was not always the case with a lot of these players. But
1: Borley was a superstar during yeah. his time at Everton. But I suppose the, the counter to that argument mm-hmm. is that he was a superstar in an age of superstars. The mm-hmm. 60s, you know, you think about George Best, you know, so sort of Bobby Charlton. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Greaves, you know, they yeah. were absolute, you know, world superstars playing in the English league, you know, so th- throughout their Bailey's era. But yeah, he was undoubtedly, you know, the standout performer. John Gavin, Gavin Buckland's book, that um, Money Can't Buy, which I finished last week and which is absolutely top class, by the way, uh, talks about um, uh, pl- plug it. He's not here. No, no. <laughs> no that, that was that was a sincere plug. It genuinely is good. You know, so <laughs> if, if he was here, I'd be far more cynical about it. <laughs> um, but no, he was. He, he was like the the one absolute. You know, so sort of shining light in, in that Emerson team. I wouldn't say in a team of no stars because there were an awful lot of stars in it, but Alan Ball was undoubtedly the international performer, the international yeah. star that everybody knew in that team. And just to finish, then yesterday, which was Monday, was 13
2: years, quite <laughs> unbelievably, <laughs> since oh, we trounced Liverpool 3 0 at Goodison Park. Obviously, Tim Kale and Andy Johnson double put the Reds to the sword, probably. I'd say one of the best days of my whole life. Anyone else? (laughs) I I genuinely was. You know what? The the memory I've got is that at the time we had like a big boombox type thing. And my dad literally, because like where we lived on Walton Lane was where like all the fans kind of had to walk back from the match, my dad literally just sellotaped it to the window. Opened the window and we just played Z Cars on repeat <laughs> for like two hours. So all the fans walking past, just have to listen to Z Cars while me and my dad were just out the window. every pocket. We said this
3: last week when you're saying the Man United game in, in
2: 05. We, we, we were just
3: opposition <laughs> fan baiters. Essentially. Like said, yeah, that's well, all
1: we used to do. Two. You wouldn't like to be a neighbour of Sam Carroll's. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> what, are
2: they, what are your recollections of that match, Pro? Well,
1: I've got great rare recollections of it because... Um, it was the first, uh, the biggest Everton victory over Liverpool since about 1964, I think it was, mm-hmm. and it's always been a bit of a sticking point that the Everton have had the opportunity to, you know, sort beat Liverpool quite handsomely and never taken it. I'm thinking of the one Everton were two 0 up quite early on, was it the Roy Hodgson derby? Yeah. yeah. And uh, David Moyes almost like declared and thought, no, no, we'll have that yeah. rather than absolutely rubbing their noses in it. And thinking of how many times Everton have had their noses rubbed in it by Liverpool, you yeah. really wanted that one, you know, sort of standout victory. So that three 0 was just Close as we've come, and uh, I remember because uh, people, that, you know, it's different now at Goodison Park, but back then uh, the pressure was right at the very top of the staircase. Uh, so the managers would come up this very, very long staircase would deliver their post-match press conference for the Sunday newspapers. Then they would leave and stand on a little bit of a landing outside uh, where the Sunday newspapers couldn't hear what you were asking them and uh, would deliver it for the Monday newspapers. So we'd done the Sunday press conference and Moyes was buzzing as you'd imagine he was really, really happy. So we then shuffled out onto the other corridor outside uh, to give the Monday press conference and you can still hear down in the street below just the crowd going berserk, chanting the Andy Johnson song and you could tell Moyes was absolutely loving it, didn't need to open the windows and so I just threw in This uh, this question about, um, so, you know, I want you to enjoy it, David, Everton's biggest victory over Liverpool in 40 odd years. And uh, also the biggest derby win in 40 odd years. And I won't embarrass the individual, but one of our um, national newspaper colleagues, who's clearly uh, got red blood running through his uh, uh, veins. Barked back at me really, really angrily. It's not the biggest derby win. It was four and last year at Anfield, whatever it was, whatever Liverpool's most recent win was. And so I just looked at him and said, no, no, Everson's biggest win. But you could tell even the Liverpool, you know, supporting press corps were absolutely hating it, which made it made it even better.
3: <laughs> so it was, it, was a, it, it,
1: was, it was a great day. Sadly, there haven't been, you know, so many since then. Uh, but yeah, it was. It was very, very enjoyable. What was the uh, the chance after it was rain or drops keep falling on my head? <laughs> yeah. It was. It was just. Uh, it was a very, very good day.
2: Was you was you there, please? No, I've got a bizarre
3: story. I was I, I was um, five thousand miles away on honeymoon in yeah? California at the time. Yeah. <laughs> And um, like um, a lot of people on Merseyside, live in a divided household. So there was me and uh, the new bride. Um, <laughs> I say I marched her You've down got to a mixed
1: marriage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, marched her down to um, an, an internet cafe in, in Santa Barbara to see what the, the score was, and yeah. we, were, we were probably the only two people you know within miles around was who were you, even bothered. A we were, and that's the problem, wasn't it? I said the newlyweds on honeymoon. I couldn't really um, <laughs> rub it in, so I, I had to be um, totally um, under. Stated about about the whole thing.
2: Yes, <laughs> I'd been getting divorced. Seeing that we'd won three
0: 0 What about you? Uh, well, I was I was watching the match uh, with two of my cousins and my uncle. Like, up in the upper, all blues or- up, yeah, yeah all blues off in the upper ballons. And, and uh, I was uh, I would have only been about twelve, I think. And uh, me and my cousin, who's similar age to me, you know, we'd seen you know Liverpool winning things in like previous. Few years, so when it was two 0 coming around to the ninetieth minute, like we turned to each other and we went, "Can we celebrate yet?" He's like, <laughs> are, we, "Are we safe to celebrate yet?" And just as we did that, Lee Carsley lined off his a, uh, lined off his shot, which led to the Andy Johnson goal. And then I remember, like my uncle sits a few rows in front of us, and remember him running up and just going, "Like, remember this right now, because this will <laughs> this will not happen again yes. in years." And, uh, unfortunately, he was right. But, yeah, yeah, I I remember walking home from that one, just absolutely buzzing.
2: That was one that, I think, as Adam said as well, even even when it was 3-0, With like 30 seconds left, I was still thinking, can we hold on? (laughs) Because Liverpool are just (laughs) that spawning horrible. You just think there's still time for them to score three goals. (laughs) Well, lads, thank you very much for that trip down memory lane and thank you very much for joining me in the podcast today. Happily, when we return later in the week, we will have some football to talk about when Everton face... Bournemouth. It's Bournemouth when we, when we <laughs> travel to Bournemouth and I nearly messed it up at the final <laughs> uh, when Everton travel walk. to Bournemouth that's one that Chris will be going to with Phil Brad. the weekends we'll be previewing that showdown and hopefully the Blues can carry on what's been a pretty positive start to the season thanks for listening don't forget to rate review and subscribe over on Acast and you can also join the Facebook group Royal Blue Podcast and send us your thoughts and you can also pick us out on Twitter if you feel the need have a great week thank you very much for listening